Let's pray, and then we'll uh, just start talking a little bit and get you introduced to what Build is, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these men. Lord, what a privilege to uh, just be here and to be in this room and to um, enjoy what you have done in these men's life and in their lives. And, and we pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in each of our lives. Lord, we're counting on you finishing what you said um, you would finish, that you have already started in us. Finish your work of making us more and more like Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your saving work through Jesus Christ at the cross and at the empty tomb. Thank you for how you powerfully and mysteriously somehow united us with him at the cross. Paul could say, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul also tells us that somehow we were united with Christ in his resurrection. We had been raised with him to walk in newness of life. And somehow, even mysteriously and powerfully, we have been raised up and we are ascended with Christ. And we are seated with him in the heavenly places. And God, because of what you have done in salvation, in that sense, Lord, everything has changed in us who are trusting in Christ. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see that um, we have everything that is needed for life and for godliness from you in this new creation that you've made us. Father, there is hope for us, even though sin still remains and it indwells within us, even though we are still attached to this flesh and influenced by it, Lord, we are new creatures in Christ, and we have what we need to live a holy life, a godly life. We have your word through which you have revealed yourself most clearly to us, God. Thank you for being so generous. You have given even your son, you did not spare him. And you'll give us everything in him and through him that we need. And so God, we worship you this morning. We humble ourselves before you. We want to grow in our love for you this morning. We want to grow in our understanding of our own hearts, what you say about our hearts in scripture. We want to grow in our enjoyment of you. We want to grow in our obedience to your son, Jesus. So please, God, we ask for you to meet with us. Set us on the right trajectory of, of, of a godly, holy walk with your Son. Father, draw us forward and on by the power of your Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. One of the first things we will do uh, almost every single week that we meet together is I'll ask you to turn your notebook over on the back. So right now, go ahead and take your notebook, turn it over on the back, and look at the back side of it. Because I want you to understand the build disciplines. And we're just going to review these things, um, these, these, uh, these, these different disciplines. Because what we want to do is, we, you want to know them so well that uh, in the middle of the night when you get kicked in bed, you're just going to start spitting them out to your wife. Or if you just wake up in the middle of the night, you're just going to, we want these things to be so reflex that you, you understand them and are committed to them. These are basically, uh, BUILD just stands for Becoming United in Leadership Disciplines. Um, hopefully what we've got here are just some basic leadership, spiritual disciplines that um, are in the Bible. And what we're doing as elders uh, at Grace Bible Church is we are calling the men of Grace Bible Church to come 
and unite around these leadership disciplines, these spiritual leadership disciplines. It is not enough to us that you would, we want you to be a godly man. We want you to be a godly man so that the church is strong. Because the church is God's, it's the body of Christ in the world. And we want you to be at a place where you can help lead this thing forward. Um, The elders of this church are going to get old, we're going to get senile, we're not going to make any more sense at some point. And if we do nothing, this church is, is toast. We have to reproduce ourselves. You need to be godly men who can take this church and, and take it to higher and better places than the current leadership has taken it. And so that doesn't just happen in a church. That happens through intentionality and obedience to what Paul says to do with young men in the church and old men in the church, any man in the church. And so... These leadership disciplines are really ground-level, foundational things for you to stand on. We've got a a cement platform from God, and we're saying, get up on it here with us and unite around these kinds of things. First discipline, thing that matters the most, is to shepherd your heart. Discipline one that you want to discipline yourself about is your heart. You need to become disciplined with your heart. What do we mean by that? We mean shepherd your heart to the Word of God, so that you can know the God of the Word. It is, uh, look, you have, lots of men have no trouble coming to the Word of God for a lot of reasons. Um, sometimes we want to come to the Word of God because, well, we, we want to check off a box because that's what we're supposed to do. We just want to check off a box. Um, sometimes we come to the Word of God because we have an interesting conversation at work the other day, and we need to get an answer for that interesting conversation we have. So we come to the Word of God to get the answer. We come to the Word of God to win an argument. We come to the Word of God to uh, put together a lesson because we've got to teach our family, because we've got to teach small group, because we've got to do a lot of different things. And so we want to come to the Word of God for those reasons. Those are not all bad in and of themselves, but they are not the most important reason to come to the Word of God. The Word of God is the place where God has revealed Himself most clearly. We need to come back to the fact that the Word of God is revelation. It's the revelation of a being. It's the revelation of a person. And there's no mistake in God saying that his son is the word become flesh. Right? His son is the communication of God. God wants to communicate himself. He has communicated himself. He's revealed himself through words. And they're right here. So, we want to come to this because this is the best we can get of our God and our Savior right now. The, the way that we could liken it is, is like a, a love letter. If you are separated from the one that you love, if you, if you couldn't be with your wife, if you couldn't be with your girl, and all you could have was a letter from her, and that's all you have, you would not sit there and go, you know what, I've noticed some very interesting things in her letter. She always writes in the present tense. And she, is a, she strings prepositional phrases together, one after the other. Sometimes four or five of them in a row. It's really fascinating what she does with her words. Now that's not unimportant completely. But that just misses the whole point. That's not why she wrote to you. She wrote to you to reveal herself to you through those words. And that letter is the best you can have of her. So why are you going to come to that letter over and over and over? It's because you love her. And that's the best you can have of her. Until you see her face to face. This is 
far greater a letter of love than anything anybody could write you or you could write anybody else. This reveals the heart and the nature and the character of your Savior, Jesus Christ, of your Father who is in heaven, of the Spirit who indwells you, and the only way that you're going to know them in the capacity that is going to honor and glorify God the most is if you come to this book to know Him, to love Him, to enjoy Him, to fear Him more, to worship Him. You come to the Word of God because you want, first and foremost, the God of the Word. If you live for that and you dis- uh, discipline yourself for that, you are on the right course. Who knows what God will do with you for His kingdom in this world? Who knows what God will do with you? If you don't do that, I don't really, what do you have to say to anybody? You need to know God. I need to know God. We need to know God. We need, and the only way we're going to know Him better is to come here. Look, we can learn something about Him by looking out at the desert landscape, can't we? Romans 1 says that. We can learn something of Him. We can't learn enough. Because He has revealed Himself to us as Savior, not just Creator. But we need to know Jesus Christ. Guys, if you have Discipline 1 and you work on this for the rest of your life, and this is what Build is primarily about... If you commit yourself to this, that I'm going to come to the Word of God because I want to know the God of the Word. If you commit yourself to that, who knows what's going to happen in your family? And who knows what's going to happen in the church? And who knows what's going to happen outside the walls of the church through your life? Who knows? But I can't wait to see that. And with 55, 56 men committed to that in one church? Wow. That's like somebody lit the fuse and the powder keg's about to go. That's going to be fun to watch. Alright, so then discipline two. What flows right out of that is if your heart is full of God and you have seen him and you have met with him in his word, man, the first I mean, you're like a you're like a little kid who comes in from playing and he wants to have a little snack and he's got a chocolate chip cookie and his mom says, pour the milk. And if you're like me, when you were a kid, you took that milk and you poured it and you poured it as much as you could get to Maybe even overflowing at times on the counter, and you'd look down. I can remember looking at the milk that I would pour, get down at eye level, and it would actually be crusted. And I think, I can drink that, and as soon as I touch it, just spilled everywhere. That's what you need to be in terms of full of the Word of God and the God of the Word. You be full of God that way, and then you need to spill out all over, first and foremost, your home, your household. Discipline two. Commit yourself to this, guys. Discipline yourself to step into your household and spill out what God has filled you up with in your home. Shepherd your heart uh, with the word of God and then step into people's lives with what you have seen from God in his word. The people that you need to impact the most, uh, those of you who are married, obviously it's your wife. Your wife needs to see that you indeed have been a man who has drawn near to God in his word. Hey, if H3 comes in here and steals our food, you're in, or cups, I see how it is. Lock that door, Elder Cronwall. Just kidding. Did you just know? Yes, sir. Yeah. I am so glad you asked that question. It doesn't apply to you, so let's move on. It's a great question. It's a great question. That was, you, you were anticipating right where we were going next. Um, so let me, let me work and get there. 
All right. So first and foremost, you guys, if you have, if you live with your parents, it is time now, as a young man of God, to start saying to your dad, Dad, um, with what I am seeing in the Word of God, what and what God is doing in my life, how can I come alongside you in this household? How can I make bring a gospel aroma in this household to help you? I want to be a man of God. Show me. Okay, so sons, you do that if you live at home. Um, if you have roommates, you live with some mother knuckleheads like yourself. You labor to do the same thing with them. You care for the ones that you live with. You, it's not a surprise, it's not an accident that you live uh, in the same place and you're all going to be coming back no matter where you scatter to every day. You come back to the same place. Here's what I found in, in many young men. It's a very interesting thing. Uh, you watch when they live together with other guys at college in, in a house. There's four or five of them together. Oftentimes, they don't even care really that they even live with some other guys. It's like, yeah, you know, you're just trying to almost avoid one another. Your lives are going on different wavelengths and everything. But here's the interesting thing. You've developed that kind of a pattern maybe since, maybe since junior high or high school. Here's what's interesting. I'm rabbit trailing now and just get used to it. I mean, what's going to happen? When, when, as soon as you get to junior high, something happens in a young man where he starts thinking that all of the smart people don't live in his house. In fact, all the dumb people live in his house. And so what he wants is he wants to get out of his house and not have obligations and responsibilities inside his house. He thinks everybody outside of his house is the people that he needs to hang out with and impact. And then in high school, it continues on. And then you get to college, and then, yeah, you live with roommates... And it's fun for a while, but then the next thing you know, your home hasn't really become a hub for ministry. It's just where you sleep. It's where you eat. It's where you shower. It's where you try not to be annoyed with your roommates. And then you jump out and you still try to go everywhere else and impact other people. And you can even be excited about really good ministry things outside of your home. But you then think to yourself as a young man, but when I get married... And when I have that forever roommate who lives with me, oh, everything will be different. I can't wait to set up the house and have it be a place of ministry where I'm going to care for people in this house first. I know I haven't been doing it for 10 years, but I can't wait for the day when I'm going to step in. My wife, she's going to feel so different. She's not going to feel like just a roommate to me. And we find out over a while that the habit rules and it wins. And then the next thing we know, our wives are feeling like our roommates. So, single guys, what do you do to prevent that? You don't sit there and do nothing until you get married. You do something now with your roommates and you, you, you labor to care for them. Shepherd them. Care for them. Bring the gospel to them. Let the, what you've been filled up with in God's word splash out all over them. Second question that's linked with Michael's is what if you're a single guy and you live alone? I know a single guy in our church who um, labors to use his home as often as he can to bring people into his home. He cooks for them, makes amazing meals for them, and then he, they just talk about Jesus and the gospel all the time. He doesn't have any roommates, so what he's doing is he's using his home as a place that he wants people to come into and he... And I guarantee you, they experience every single time they're in his home, they walk in and they're like, 
there's something different in this house. There's an aroma in this house of Jesus Christ and the Word of God and the God of the Word. It, they experience that and they know that. That's what you should be planning for because if you're that kind of a man now as a single guy living on your own, when God does bring family into your life, uh, you're right in track already. There's no adjustments needed to be made. All right, so it doesn't matter if you're married or not. The discipline number two is appropriate and applicable to every single guy. And those are the people that you need to be impacting first. Now, imagine that you're a man who is shepherding your heart to know Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Imagine that the people that you're seeking to impact most first are those that you live with. Now, discipline three. That kind of a man who's doing the first two and he's disciplining himself towards those things, as elders, we want that kind of a man to step into the lives of everybody he can in the church. Please, touch as many lives as you can because you are pursuing God and his word and your family is benefiting from it. Please, talk to everybody you can. H3 is across the hall. Don't touch my food. That's Smith. That's my food. <laughs> what do you got over across the room? The hall. <laughs> Can I get an elder to go over there and see what he's got? <laughs> You'll go? Thanks. <laughs> so you want to step into people's lives then. Discipline three, the ministry. Um, you at that point need to impact as many lives as you can within the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. Um, you just need to be giving yourself over to as many people as you can. What do you usually find what happens in a church? What's the unfortunate tragedy in a church? Look, you will not go to a church, you will never find a church where the leadership is not desperate for men to lead. We are desperate for men to lead at Grace Bible Church. You will find every church to be that way. Men, we need men. A young man comes along, an old man comes along, and he's, he shows some... Some zeal and some maybe some knowledge. And the, the leadership of that church, they just grab that guy like he's a raw piece of meat and they haven't eaten for weeks. They grab him and they just throw him into, here, you lead this Bible study. You teach this Sunday school. You share what you've got. And the next thing you know, this guy is just running in the church and he is teaching and he is leading. And nobody has asked him any crucial questions about the first two disciplines. We don't even know what kind of a man he might be in the heart with God and his word. And we might not even know what's going on in his home. He might be playing leapfrog over his heart. He might be playing leapfrog over his household. But man, is he interested in having an influence in the church. And then the next thing you know, his life unravels in the church. And there's this big blow up because his wife doesn't like him anymore, doesn't want to live with him anymore. His kids are running off the rails. They don't want to be around him. And the next thing you know, everybody's scratching their head saying, what happened? It's easy to tell what happened. We didn't pay attention to the first things that we needed to pay attention to. A man must be full of God in the word of God every day, disciplining himself to meet with this God of the word. And then he needs to be making an impact in his home. Then that man needs to be leading in the church. Stepping into lives through small group. That doesn't mean you necessarily even have to lead a small group yet. But I'll tell you what, you're going to look at your small group differently. You're going to look at your small group and say, you know what, I have to be plugged into men. I want to be plugged into men. I want to make an impact on them because of what I've seen. 
You need to step into your home and the lives. You need to be like Moses where you're all lit up. You've you got the glory of God all over your face because you just saw God in the Word of God. And you need to make that impact on people. I tell you, we've got to get the first things first and not skip them. And you can't put the third things first and whatnot. Discipline one, your heart. Discipline two, the home. Discipline three, the ministry. Discipline four, the qualifications. One of the things that we want to do as elders in the church is we want to set before you the qualifications for two offices in the church. Primarily the office of deacon, but also they're so similar. That, that qualification list is so similar with the elders' uh, qualification list. We're, we're setting them in front of you. We are starting this morning calling you, wanting you to aspire to those qualifications. Be the kind of man who could be qualified to lead ministry as a deacon or to oversee and shepherd ministry with the word of God as an elder. Be that. I know you may think, yeah, that's not on my radar. I, I want to be a godly man, but you know, like being an elder, I'm the, I couldn't be an elder. Um, well, why don't you let God decide that? But you put your life, you be a good steward of your life, and you set it before God, you set your life before his word, you be prayerful and say, God, do with my life whatever you want, and I'm going to set the qualifications for deacon and for elder in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. I'm going to set those in front of me, and you do what only you can do. We want qualified men to be able to lead ministry and oversee ministry in this church. Discipline 5 um, is one that we used to call something else, and last year I changed it to the hermeneutic, because it keeps coming, and this keeps coming more and more to the forefront of what we're trying to do here. Um, we want you to understand how the leadership of this church thinks the way the Word of God should be interpreted. Hermeneutics is nothing more than um, a set of rules for interpreting the Bible. And so what we want to do is we want to show you, in fact, even this morning I'll start modeling for you how we want to handle the Word of God. You hopefully get to see that every Sunday. We don't try to hide how we handle the Word of God on Sunday. Preaching to us is public hermeneutics. We're modeling for you from the pulpit, from our teaching, how we want you to handle the Word of God on your own. And so we're going to start by the end of the year training you on some of the basics of what hermeneutics is. What are the rules for interpreting uh, Scripture? How do we view the way that the New Testament and the Old Testament are related? Um, what's going on when the New Testament uses the Old Testament? That's kind of weird sometimes, isn't it? So we're going to start touching on those things. The, the primary place, if you want more of that, a lot of that, the primary place you need to be is across the hall with Smed in H3. But H3 comes after you've done build well. Um, and so discipline four is, um, or I'm on five now, um, is the hermeneutic, how we want to interpret scripture. Okay. And lastly, discipline six. Um, you are not at just any church in the valley. You're at this church in the valley. One of the key, two main things that, are, that make you qualified to be in build is, one, you, you need to profess that you love Jesus Christ. You've been changed by him in the gospel, that he has saved you. Secondly, that this is your church home. This is not a, we haven't designed this to be a ministry to men across the valley. It's not a, a, a men's breakfast type thing. This is we want to develop the men of Grace Bible Church. Well, then, if that's the case, then you need to know what, what this church has its sights on, what's in its vision, and what's its purpose in the gospel. Um, so we'll go over what the vision of our church is, that it's uh, 
We want to see the glory of God. We want to see the cross of Christ. And we want to see the transformation of life that the Holy Spirit brings. The glory of God in the cross through the transformation of life that the Spirit brings. That's what we're setting our sights on from Scripture. And then that leads us to a gospel purpose. Um, we live in the gospel days of the church. Uh, we're not with Abraham in the Old Testament. We're not with Noah in the Old Testament. We're not with Moses and Israel in the Old Testament under a Mosaic law doing that. We are the church. We're the New Testament church. And we have a gospel commission given to us by Jesus Christ, which means that we need to, with the gospel, draw in, with the gospel, build up, and with the gospel, send out. Um, and so we're going to cover that because that's what this church is all about. Okay? Now, that's the longer version of that this morning, but every morning we're going to start by turning our notebooks over and primarily getting disciplines one, two, and three. Those are the key ones. All of them matter, but the first three are the most important. And out of the three, um, the heart abides like love, okay, and remains beyond all of them. Because if you get it right with your heart, guys, if you can learn to shepherd yourself and your heart well to the Word of God, you have something to offer other people. But if you leapfrog your heart, you don't have much to say. You don't have the important things that people need to hear. What, what a sinner that you come into contact with needs most, what a sinner in your home needs most, what a sinner in the church needs most, is somebody who just saw God in his word, who just saw Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead and ascended on high from the pages of scripture, and that guy can't shut up about it. That's what we need, right? That's what you must be. So that's the most important. Now, let me give you a couple of house rules of how it works here. Uh, there basically are no house rules other than um, you, you can uh, get up and you can get down anytime you want. You can get up and get more food anytime you want. Just stand up and snake your way out or crawl under a table or whatever you got to do to make your way out. You can do that anytime you want. There's nothing offensive about any of that. It's kind of just family style. This is your house. Let's pretend. And what do you do when you need more chips? You go get more chips and or breakfast or whatever. So just go make yourself at home. The bathrooms, this is very important, are down the hall to the left that way. And then you make a, as you start to curve and go down the main hall, uh, they're right there on the corner, right there. You can't miss them. So just about 20 feet down that way, okay? Um, every time you come in, that cart is going to be sitting right in front of the door. We try to put there so you almost have to trip over it. Every time you come in, you're going to get um, a paper clip full of stuff. I'm going to bother you for a second. You're going to get something like this, um, and there will always be a colored sheet with it um, that sets out apart from the other ones because the, the colored sheet is, is your homework. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But you need to make sure you check your name off on the card whenever you come in, and you need to grab um, the homework every time you come in. All right, let's, let's walk through your notebooks and, and help you understand what is in your notebook. Why did you get a notebook? Well, primarily because we want you to be able to use this notebook to just start. You can put all kinds of stuff in it. As you read something or as you get thoughts about you know, what we're talking about in regards to the heart, just put it in the heart section in this notebook. Add it to the notebook. Build a notebook that you'll use for the rest of your life about um, these spiritual leadership disciplines. Uh, inside your notebook, on the very first, uh, you'll see a, a, a cover, uh, like a protective sheet. That's your calendar. You'll see basically how we set this up. We're basically uh, 
running through the different disciplines. We don't go exactly in order. We, we do cover, we spend a lot of time on discipline one throughout the whole year. Let me put it this way. We don't spend equal time on all six disciplines. We did that the first year. We did it. And what we found out the first year that we did, who was in that first year? One, two, three, four elders, basically. What we did that first year, you, um, we, we spent the same amount of time on Discipline 6 as we spent on Discipline 1. But what we found out is when we were doing our small groups, we kept having to come back to deal with the heart in the home. And so we were like, well, instead of fighting that, let's just focus on that. Um, and so we're going to spend the bulk of our time on the heart at the front end. And then we're going to go to the home, spend not quite as much time on that. And then we're going to touch on the ministry. And by that time, it'll be a second semester. And then we'll start spending more time. And then we'll throw another heart session in again. And another maybe home session again. I forget exactly. But that's your calendar. Uh, we start at 6.30 every time uh, that we meet. It's not every other Saturday. So make sure you plug these in your calendar, the exact dates, because if you think it's every other Saturday, there will be one that you'll show up here and there will not be anybody here. That would be um, not good. So make sure you get these dates in. If you turn after um, your uh, the, the calendar, um, you have, what's the next thing you have? Right? Those of you have new notebooks. What's right after? Oh, I mean, you've got the tabs. The heart, the home, the ministry, the we have five of them there, I think. Um, we didn't make one for every single one of them. The, the, the tab on the heart, go there, and I have just some resources for you on the heart. What I tried to do years ago, and, and even as we stuck to it last year, is just go through the, the, the Bible. Just go through the... Hey, Robert, I think you're across the hall. You're fine. Um, but what, you, um, what, what I try to do is just go through the... the Old Testament and the New Testament and just look at the different references to the heart and then I try to categorize them. And basically the lessons that we teach from here come from that um, survey of the Bible. But I want you to be able to um, just look at those and have those and you can build on them and, and refine it and make it better. So you have the heart in the New Testament, you have the heart in the Old Testament, you've got, or uh, through the uh, survey. And then you also have a list of it kind of looks like you're so far away, you don't even see. It's the one where it says, uh, do you want the heart, the 856 occurrences of hearts in the New American Standard? Can you see that one? Uh, we'll talk about that one next week, cause, um, or the next time together, because there's just not enough time today to do that. But that is very interesting uh, to just consider the books uh, of, the, of the Old Testament, New Testament, that talk about the heart specifically, that mention it specifically. You might be shocked. Um, you might want to consider reading the book of Ezekiel because the heart is mentioned 31 times. And what if you don't read Ezekiel ever? Well, you're missing 31 times that God wants to talk about the human heart. So are you sure you don't want to read Ezekiel? Now, you need to read Ezekiel. So um, the next uh, section, the next uh, tab is on the, the home. Did the same kind of thing. Tried to do a survey through the Bible to just look at relationships in the home. Interesting stuff like Eli in the Old Testament and 1 Samuel and his sons um, and the contrast that they were always in compared to Samuel uh, things like Aaron and his sons in the Old Testament uh, and then what Samuel ended up doing with his boys and how they ended up not being a whole lot better than Eli's sons were what's going on in households in the Bible get to the 
New Testament and Jesus starts talking a little bit differently about households like I did not come to bring peace but I came to set a household against itself what's going on in the Bible on the household so we're going to talk about that and, and um, want you to have those references there the third tab is on um, the ministry just trying to walk through the Bible thinking about where where is biblical ministry taking place uh, what does it look like what does it mean to be a leader what does it mean to be submissive under leadership what does it mean to to serve people. I just tried to grab those passages. You can look at that, and I hope that you can build on that kind of stuff. Um, the qualifications tab uh, is the one you'll see just uh, 1 Timothy 3. It'll be looking at leadership, basically. Even leadership in the Old Testament, talking about the shepherds of Israel and how bad they were. Uh, David, perhaps Psalm 23 type of stuff. And then in the New Testament, um, you have uh, obviously 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, those passages to consider, etc. Okay? So what you'll do, like when you get um, your homework that you pick up there at the table or at the, the little cart as you walk in, if our lesson is on the heart, when you're done, you put that in section one of your notebook and that goes into the heart section and you can just kind of keep your homework there and bring your notebook each week. Now for those of you guys who have done it before and so you've got a notebook in years past, if your notebook is lost, trashed, whatever, just let me know or email Cassidy and she'll put one together for you and it'll be ready next time. Okay. All right, so there's your notebook for the most part. Um, it's very important for you to uh, just be here uh, attendance-wise. This is not a kind of thing, um, I think we tried to explain this in the email. This is not one of those kinds of like men's breakfast things where you can come when, you kinda, when, you're, when you're available. Now we, want, we, we asked you to make a commitment for nine months. Um, and there's a reason for that because we want to walk with you for nine months the best that we can in this setting. Um, one of the main tools that or purposes that BUILD tries to accomplish is we're gathering the men of the church and saying, unite around these disciplines, and then we try to have enough elders in here that the elders can be close enough to your life to watch you, to talk with you, to, to look at your homework, to kind of um, say, hey, this is where I see good things going on, this is where I see some work needing to take place in your life. We want it, the elders want to be in an observation relationship with the men of the church so that we know you, um, so that you know the leadership of this church. So uh, so Tom Angstead is here as an elder. Eric Martin is here as an elder intern. Um, Steve Brotherton is here. As an, why don't you guys just raise your hand real quick. There's Tom and Eric and Steve. Jacob Hantler is right here as an elder. Mark Cronwald, who's not raising his hand by standing up, um, is an elder. I'm an elder. And then we have some other guys who are helping out alongside the elders in the small groups. Um, you'll see that in a little bit here. So uh, there's some more of the uh, all the basics of build. Let's do this. I want you to not fast, but not terribly slow. I want you to give your name, and I want you to give just just one thing about you, whatever. How long you've been at the church, when you came to Christ, your, something about your family, where you work, why did you want to take Bill? Just one thing. You, you pick, uh, but give your first and your last name, and you got to say it loud enough so everybody can kind of hear and watch, because this will be your first quiz later today before you leave. Just kidding. <coughs> My name is Mike Brewer. I've been all in for Christ for nine years. Very good. Jordan Thomas, and we started coming to the church nine months ago. 
table. Start right here. Nick Pagel, and I'm taking build because my heart needs God, and I want to learn how to shepherd better, and I just love his body, and I want to hang out with the man that's good for him. That's awesome. Sam Pagel, and I'm in Greece, but soon as I Good. We got part in about two years. Very good. You guys were you you guys were here with us before in the earlier days, and now we get you back. Yeah, it's awesome. It's well, no, really, it is awesome. It's good for us. It's good. Here. Uh, Peter again got taken about five months ago. Yes. And I just want to get to know God more and more every day. It's good. Kevin and Reese, I've been knowing Reese now for four months. Yes, that's exactly what we want. Thanks, Kevin. And I don't know anybody who can grow a beard like you do. And that's, <laughs> that's the best. Guys I know yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's great. Let's come back around the side over here. see what enemy territory Valley Christian is like, right? <laughs> you go to Tri-City, right? Yeah. Yeah. Rivals. Okay. Alright, let's go to the let's go to the troublemaker table. Yeah, see all of you are smart. And just every year whatever turns out over here just trouble I can see it now. <laughs> you said it and every head just turned this way. <laughs> well that's because they know that you're dad. <laughs> They're like, oh, 
That's right, Dad's in the car. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's start with Jonathan. Give the last one. I didn't give you the last name. I'm Jonathan Miles. I'm going to break for about a um, year. Um, and uh, I have another dream now. So. George Siegel. Um, God rescued me in June of 2000. <coughs> um, Alex Roberts. I've been going to Grace, I think in November will be about two years. Um, took Bill to, uh, to uh, well, this is my second time taking Bill and <laughs> Tom Angstead saved at the age of 28 and Alex, you're wrong this is my seventh time <laughs> you never graduated from this or I have yet to graduate from this and it's good for you thank you Just one request that after today, the two of you will not sit next to each other. Now you know why I said what I said. Y'all need to shepherd your heart at this table. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Please don't be. <laughs> Take off. We got to go to the second. Let's start. Thank you. 
it back. Yes. Yeah, like it. That's good. Okay. My name is Ben Burdick. I want to hear about Go back to the round table. Probation officer, we get with me. I looked up last Sunday, and um, during the sermon, I saw you guys sitting there. And I was like, oh, we didn't get a chance to, like, say anything. But then Smed told me you guys came in late, and, and so it's, this it's Sunday. Jet lag. Jet lag. It only works for one week, though, you know. Did you get killed today on this stuff? I know. Yeah, that's all right. Sorry. <laughs>
grace about a year, and uh, Christ saved me in November of '95, and uh, I'm here to accomplish the church. Good. I'm Mark. God saved me in He's a guy we would love to encourage you to talk to. Um, we're trying to beef up that ministry a little bit. Um, we need some help, uh, especially in the, the, the immediate weeks coming. Um, so if you could help a little bit on the setup teardown side and want to know a little bit more about what that means, you can talk to George. We can track him down now and uh, ask some good questions. Okay? All right. So let's take a five-minute break, just a quick one, get a refill or whatever, and then come back, sit down. We'll, we'll hit the, the ground running. Um, I want to just talk through what you can expect each time when you come. What you can expect each time that you show up is uh, that we'll always have a little bit of coffee. We'll have some stuff to drink. We'll have a light breakfast back there on the table so you can um, always expect that there will be something there. It may not be a full course meal for you. Uh, and if you are interested in helping provide uh, you know, some food once in a while, we would let you do that. Um, Cassidy will probably be sending an email out to all of you asking. We've had in the past all, some of the wives have uh, you know, made muffins and stuff like that to um, help out. And we're not asking anybody to make breakfast for 56 people. But um, if somebody wanted to throw in a dozen muffins or a dozen bagels or whatever, we would let you do that too. Okay. So, But you can expect that we'll always have something here. Um, we'll, teaching will we'll, always be teaching when we're here. And it will always be probably an hour um, at, the, at the minimum. Um, you're going to have an assignment every time. Uh, it's your green sheet today. We're not going to go over it right at this moment, but uh, that's your assignment that you need to work on. Please, if you want to get the most out of this assignment, do not do it Friday night two weeks from now. These are the kinds of homework questions that you're going to have. This is not like go look up a bunch of Bible passages and write down what you think it means. This is, no, I need to evaluate my life. And actually, you're going to be asking your wife or your roommates or your kids or your parents to evaluate your home life. You don't want to be doing that Friday night at 1030, uh, two weeks from now, or when you get that assignment on the night before. And it's just, you're not going to get helpful information from whoever you ask. So I encourage you to, to do your homework on the front end. Set a day or two right away this weekend and um, give some thought to it while it's fresh on your mind and then come back to it later if you need to finish it up. Your primary assignment um, each time uh, all year is primarily um, to read through the Bible in a year. That's your primary assignment for build. And there's a couple of different reading plans in the back. There's McShane's Bible reading plan. Um, to read through the Bible in a year, you basically need to read about four chapters a day. That will get you through the Bible at least once. McShane's um, Bible reading plan is the one that I I always end up coming back to. Whenever I leave it and try something different, I don't know what happens. I, I end up coming back to it. I just like it the best. 
you'll be reading it. That'll take you through the Old Testament once. It'll take you through the New Testament twice in a year. And Psalms and Proverbs, I think, twice. Or Psalms twice um, in a year. So um, that's a great one. I, that's my favorite one. Chronological is, is helpful. It can be dry at points. Um, so you're going to need to um, you know, just be aware of that. Um, we, we tried to set them up so that, um, obviously this isn't January 1, and most Bible reading plans start on January 1. Just start on the date that today is, and just start reading. If you're in the middle of Ezekiel, and you're like, I have no idea how I got here, just start reading. Don't worry about it. But the, the thing that we're trying to point you to is, is you need to be a man of God's word, and for the rest of your life, you just need to be reading the whole Bible. Not your five favorite books of the Bible. Okay? But all of the Bible. You need to be able to shepherd your heart from all, every corner of the Bible. And so you're going to, we need to, just want to encourage you to start doing that. That's your primary assignment. There's not a whole lot of other heavy duty assignment here because we want you to be making sure that every day as you shepherd your heart, you're reading your Bible. You're trying to get through it in a year. Okay? Um, you're going to get really discouraged in that at some point. And you're going to get behind. This week, you're going to get behind, maybe. Um, just don't worry about, if you're reading four chapters a day and you haven't read for the last four days, and then you're like, oh my goodness, I've got 16 chapters to read. You know, if I'm going to be spiritual, I've got to read those 16 chapters, you know. No, don't do that. Just read the day that you're on. And trust God that for the rest of your life, as you're going to be reading the Bible, you're going to fill in the gaps of what you didn't get. Just, just read, okay? Some of you may not like it that way. You may think that the only way that you can do it is to read all the 16 chapters before you do the next day. Fine, do that. Okay, I'm not going to arm wrestle you down on that. But I'm just trying to be an encouragement to those of you who get overwhelmed knowing that you're two, three days behind. Just pick right up where the day says to be and read. And um, we'll talk some more about that and try to be an encouragement to you. Each time, what else can you expect? You can expect that there will be a small group time. Um, I loved last year, but what was disappointing to me on from my side last year, not on anything that the guys did, but on my side, is I allowed us to get too distracted and, and we didn't have very much small group time. So what I'm going to do this year is um, each of you are divided up, and those of you who are, are who didn't get your name on the list or we didn't get your name on the list, don't worry, next time you will be, and we'll make sure today that you're in a small group. But what we're going to do is we're going to do small groups first each time. And we're going to give you 45 minutes, basically, where you're going to be, uh, we'll, we'll come together, we'll do the back of the notebook, and then we'll break up into small groups. And you're basically, the guys leading your, your small group time are going to either go over your homework and talk about, so, why are what are you hoping to accomplish in your Bible reading? They're going to be asking questions right from your homework. Share with us what your wife said about how she thinks your spiritual influence in the home is. And we'll pass out Kleenex and you can, or sleeves or whatever you can. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, it's a, um, God will sustain you through the humbling uh, path that you'll be on. Okay, you, you need people to be honest with you about the kind of man you are. And we're all in this together. And it doesn't matter how many years you've done this or how many years you've been practicing it. You, we're, we're in it together. Um, I know after 21 years of marriage, Tim and I feel like this year we're discovering some things that we should never... We're rediscovering some things that we should have never lost. But, um, you know, you're always growing. And you're always in need of growth. So, um, you'll do the small group time and go over the assignment. Um, let's see. What else? I think that's mostly it. Um, I want to encourage you to get a book that will... It's probably... Uh, I've been looking for a book that goes 
well with what we're trying to accomplish and build primarily with Discipline One. And um, I think it just came out. Um, it's Rick Holland's book, Uneclipsing the Sun, S-O-N. Uh, it was handed out at Resolve um, this year in the conference. Uh, it is the Christ-centered uh, way of expressing Discipline One, of shepherding your heart to the Word of God to know Jesus Christ. Um, I want to read something to you. So Matt, listen. <laughs> it's an inside joke about me reading to Matt at lunch. It's, uh, you can ask him sometime. All right. Listen to this. He says, God presents himself to us in words. And this verbal God who himself invented language has chosen only one word, his favorite word with which to do so. We learn this at the outset of John's gospel in verses familiar to us all. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Um, that's verses 1 to 3. Nothing has come into being without this Word. Huh. What do words do? They communicate. They transmit ideas. They reveal what someone is thinking. In the beginning was the communication. What God wanted us to know about himself, everything, singly and totally, God wanted to express to us about himself. But this communication is not an abstract thought like the Greek notion of the word logos. This communication is not an it, but a he. He was in the beginning with God. The word is a he, and he is God. God's one-word language is Jesus. In that term, you know all that God wants you to know about himself. The national anthem of heaven has a one-word lyric, Jesus. It's uh, just a bunch more of that, same kind of thing. About how is it that we can be a Christian but be so Christless at times? And the book just calls us back to uneclipsing the sun so that he can be radiant in our lives as he needs to be. Um, Uneclipsing the sun. Yeah, um, oh, I don't know if he does yet. He, we're, he's got dozens and dozens. It's going to be a book of the month next month. So we've got a bunch of them, and it's, it's not too expensive. It's put out by Cress uh, Biblical so Publications. All right, let's do this. Take out your handout from today. We're going to dive into our study on the heart, okay? Discipline one, the heart. First thing we're going to do is we're going to do a biblical survey of the heart. That means we're going to start in our Bibles from the beginning and we're going to survey through the whole Bible. We're going to, just today, try to figure out what does the Bible say about the human heart. Okay? Um, we're going to approach these disciplines this way almost every time. Uh, at least disciplines one and two. We'll, um, yeah, the first two we'll do it this way. We'll do a survey introduction to the heart and to the home. And then after that, we'll drill down deep into specific passages, a specific passage. So we'll do a couple of surveys on the heart, and then we're going to drill down into Hebrews 4.12. So what we're trying to accomplish here is give you a, you know, let you look over the whole landscape of the Bible, and then we're going to go look at one plot of land in the Bible and see what it says about the heart. And today I want to start modeling for you the way that we think the Bible should be interpreted, and that is... We're going to read it from left to right, not from right to left. We're going to read forward through our Bibles. 
Um, we're going to read it forward is the way that we say it. But we need to start first with just understanding what is the heart. So number one, what is the heart? Let me give you some ideas here in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when you see the word heart, it refers to the whole man. The heart is never a piece of you. Like we think of an organ in your body. It is the inner nature of man. Okay? It is who you are inwardly in Scripture. Now, you have feelings associated and connected to your heart, but your heart is much more than feeling. Like, put your heart into it. Do it with feeling. No, that's too small. But yes, your feelings are connected to your heart in the Old Testament. According to the Old Testament, your thinking is even tied to your heart, the meditations of my heart. But you do much more than just meditate. In your heart. Your will, the human will, is tied to the heart in the Old Testament. The, the heart in the Old Testament is, is the man with all of his urges. Okay? Uh, in short, it is the person in totality. It is you in totality, the heart. Okay? It's a comprehensive term for your personality as a whole. I'm trying to think of as many different ways to say this, saying it's, it's all of you, okay? Um, it's your inner life. Um, in the Old Testament, when something comes out of your heart then, and if that's entirely who you are and it came out of your heart, you're responsible for it because it's you. It came from you. It's also, we might say, the place, although the word place doesn't really work, we might say it's the place where God says he'll meet you, either as judge or as redeemer in the Old Testament. Where he'll either deal with obedience or disobedience in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? The New Testament coincides with that Old Testament idea of the word heart. It's the inner life. It's the center of your personality and who you are. It's also the place, uh, again, using that term place, I don't really know what that means, though. It's, it's the, but it's, I can't think of a better word. It's the place in which God reveals himself to men. And that's even revealed more clearly in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's, it's clear in the Old Testament that God meets man at, at the heart, but it's even more clear in the New Testament. Um, it's simply the person. Let me give you an example. First um, Peter chapter 3, verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. It's in the instruction given to wives. He says there, Peter says, But let it be the hidden person of the heart. I like that. That's a great way of helping you understand what the word heart means, what it encompasses. It's the hidden person. Can you see your, your heart organ? Your organ that is your heart? No, you can't. It's inside you. It's hidden. And, and, and so the Bible kind of takes that idea that it's hidden. But it's you that's hidden. It's the, it's the hidden you. It's the inside you. It's your hidden person. Okay? The heart is that in man which is addressed by God. In the New Testament, like many times in the Old Testament, heart and mind are set in parallel. Um, you can refer to all that you are by talking about your mind, too. Um, Thus, it is the person, it is the thinking, the feeling, the willing ego of man. It's, 
with particular your responsibility toward God. When God addresses the heart in the New Testament, it's very much, um, and you know what, God's watching. Or, and God has done something about it. Okay? So it is the place where God deals with the man. It's the place where in the first instance the, the question for or against God is decided. Okay? Conversion is said to take place there. And so that means all of you is converted. Every part of you is converted. It's not a piece of you that's converted. It's all of you that's converted. Um, the natural man uh, in the New Testament has a stony heart in the Old Testament as well. A stony heart, a hard inner man that's turned against God, it's turned against neighbor. And it is that way until God intervenes and does something about the heart. So, how do we summarize what the heart is about? It's another way of referring to who you are in all of your totality. Your heart is you. It's the inward you. It's the inward you. Okay? We, we mean this. When we, when we speak um, and maybe somebody takes it the wrong way, what we said, or they assign to us motives that aren't true, we say this. We, what we do is we say something like, if you only knew my heart and what I meant, what do we mean when we say that? If you really knew me, you'd know that's not what I meant. And so we're not saying if you only really knew this little piece of me, this portion of me where I have feelings... No, we don't mean that. We mean something bigger than that. We mean, you know, if you really knew who I really was, I know you can't see all of who I am, but if you really knew who I was in totality, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't assign that motive or whatever. Okay? So, number two. And by the way, as we go through stuff like this, you're more than welcome to just interrupt, raise your hand, and um, we'll try to address. I, I may say, I may answer your question. We may address what you're doing. We may rabbit trail for a while with what you're doing. I may say, hold that. We'll, we'll get to it later. But you're more than welcome to... Um, Interrupted at any point. So what can be said of the human heart from Scripture? We're going to look at these. Let's go to Psalm 40. Now, here's what we mean. Here's what I mean about how I want to model for you what we're doing. On each one of these, uh, model our hermeneutic. On each one of these, we're going to start in the Old Testament, and we're going to move to the right in your Bible. And so we're going to do a sweep through the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, and we're going to see what we gain from what the Bible says about the heart. Psalm 40, verses uh, 11 and 12. Look at it with me. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head and my heart has failed me. Now, I emphasize me every time because the, the psalmist is saying, I've got needs. All of who I am, me, needs some help here. And then he says, my heart has failed me. What he is saying, if heart means what heart means, is he's saying, I have failed me. I have failed me. So what could be said of the human heart here? You can write this down. It is a heart that fails man. What can be said about the human heart from Scripture in Psalm 40? It is a heart that fails man. Look what's associated with the heart here. My iniquities have overtaken so that I'm not able to see. His iniquities somehow have come over him, crashed over him like a wave so much that he can't even see. 
Evils beyond number have surrounded him. And he's talking about his heart. They're, so, they're more numerous than the hairs of my head. Sin is everywhere, and I feel like I should talk about my heart. You see the connection? The inner person, and just, he's overwhelmed by his sin, and he's counting on God, he's needing God to be who he has said he is, he is a compassionate God, a God of loving kindness, a God of truth, who continually preserves those who are his own. The heart fails, man. The heart fails, you guys. Your heart, who you are inwardly, fails you. Let's go to Proverbs 20, verse 9. Punch it down to 75, okay? It's it is? Huh. 68. There it goes. <laughs> Proverbs 20, verse 9. Proverbs 20, verse 9. What else can be said from Scripture about the human heart? Who can say, I have cleansed my heart? I am pure from my sin. The understood answer to that is um, nobody. Who can say this? So what can we understand about the heart? Proverbs 29, it is a heart beyond man's cleansing. That's what we can understand from Proverbs 29. My heart is a heart that is beyond man's cleansing. The implied understood answer to this question again is nobody can say this. Nobody can say that I cleansed my heart. I cleansed my inner man. I cleansed who I was inwardly. Nobody can say that. Nobody. I am pure from my sin. No one can say that. All right, so we have a heart that fails us, and we have a heart that is beyond our ability to cleanse. How about we go to the New Testament now? Matthew 15. Very familiar verses from Jesus. 15, 1 to 20. Uh, Jesus is talking about... dealing with the the teaching of the Pharisees, that they have this very um, convenient tradition that they can actually obey their tradition and ignore God and His commandments. They have exalted the Pharisees' traditions and teachings over the Word of God. And He says, These people honor me with their lips, but um, their hearts are far from me. Verse 8, their inner beings are far from me. Now look at uh, verse 18. Very familiar. He says, But it's actually the things that proceed out of the mouth... Um, They come from the heart. They come from the inner man. And those defile the man. For out of the heart, out of the inward totality of who I am, that's where evil thoughts come from. And murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. That's what Jesus was dealing with. So what could be said about the human heart here? It is the source of man's defilement. Listen, what defiles you is not something that's on the outside of you. It's in you. It's you. And it's not just something that's in you. It's you in you. That's the problem. It's like uh, taking your son into a a store that has poison and chemicals and weed killer and everything all on the shelves and saying all of these things could, could ruin you. But I just want you to understand, son, that already inside you, there's something worse than these things. That's what he's saying. To get at what's in the heart is, is the problem. It's the source of man's defilement. Uh, Romans one twenty one. Let's turn there. Great chapter. Paul talking about the gospel is the power of God. 
And in that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress that truth and righteousness. He goes on to describe them in verse 21. He says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. They're a foolish inner man. The foolish inner man only became more darkened. So what can be said about the human heart here? It is a foolish heart that invites greater spiritual darkness. It is a foolish heart that invites greater spiritual darkness. I mean, that is bad news, guys. I mean, it's one thing if it's in a bad condition, but it doesn't deteriorate. But it is in a bad condition, and it only plunges itself into further darkness. That's what he is saying. What's the proof here in verse 21 of this foolishness of heart? Um, They know God, but they won't honor him or give him thanks. That's pretty foolish. And thus, that is the human heart. All right, so there you have it. Number two, what could be said about the human heart? It's a heart that fails man. It is a heart beyond man's cleansing. It is the source of man's defilement. And it is a foolish heart that invites greater spiritual darkness. Number three, does the heart know this about itself? Does your inner man on his own know this about himself? Go back to Deuteronomy 11. Here we go, going back to the left, working our way to the right. Going to do a little sweep through the Bible again. Deuteronomy 11, verse 13, down to verse 17. It shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart. And all your soul, similar term, all of who you are inwardly, that he, watch this, here's God's promise to Israel. He, verse 14, will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. You are going to be a prosperous people. You're going to have all of the stuff that a a good nation needs. And he'll give you grass in your fields for your cattle. And you will eat and you will be satisfied. I mean, this is massive material, just blessing from God. Verse 16, beware that your hearts at that time, in that blessing, are not deceived. Your inner man. Be on the guard that your hearts are not deceived. That you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Is the heart aware of its devastating condition? Listen to this. The heart is easily deceived even when it is surrounded by blessing and obedience. He's saying, if you will obey me, I'll pour out all my treasures on you. And at that time, you're safe because when you're surrounded by blessing and good stuff, and you've been obedient, you never have to worry about being deceived. Now, that's not what he says. He says at that time and precisely, watch your inner man. Because you can be deceived. So get this, even when we're in the perfect environment, where's the problem? Still me. Still me. And the heart is deceived easily. Go to Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Very familiar passage, right? You guys know this? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. God's word says here that the heart is more deceitful than all else 
and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Wait a minute, get this. The heart is an excellent deceiver, maybe the most excellent deceiver. Go through the world. If you spent the rest of your life and you went on a, a search through all the corners and ends and nooks and crannies of the world and you were looking for deceivers that are out there in the world and you looked for things that could deceive, this verse says that when you come back and you look at your list and you've categorized them on who you thought was the best, you can leave a spot at the top and write in your own heart. The heart is more deceitful than all else. Okay, so get this. We just found out in Deuteronomy 13 that we can be deceived. And now we found out in Jeremiah 17 that our heart actually deceives. Wow, this is not good. This is not good. The heart is sick beyond grasp, beyond our, our mental ability to grasp. It's desperately sick. Who can understand this? Let's go to the New Testament, Romans 16. An important instruction at the end of that letter about people causing division in the body. Romans 16, verse 17. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves. They're not slaves of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, watch this, what do they do? They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Wow. If you are unsuspecting, your heart is in a position where it can be deceived. Deceived. Okay, so my heart can be deceived even though it's surrounded by blessing and obedience. My heart is at the top of the deceiver list. And now other people can come and they can deceive me. Go to James 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, James 1, 26, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. I don't know how worse a picture it could be painted. You can be surrounded by blessing and obedience and be deceived. The heart itself deceives above everything else. Um, others can come in and deceive, and I can now even be said to deceive myself. So, can this kind of a heart be aware of the devastating condition we just looked at in the first part, or that, that number two there, it, that it's a heart that fails man, that it's a heart beyond man's cleansing, that it's the source of man's defilement, it's a foolish heart that invites greater spirits of darkness. Can this heart, marked by deception, even know this? Don't worry, it, it gets, it, the, the night has to get a little black, a little darker yet, okay? And then, then, the, then the light's going to come on. Number four, what does God call the human to. What does he call human beings to? Go back to Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament. The equivalent is found in Matthew 22. Deuteronomy 6, this is the, the Shema. We'll spend some time in this passage uh, to show the link between discipline 1 and discipline 2 on the heart and the home. But look specifically at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of who you are inwardly, with all your soul and with all your might. Same idea, parallel ideas. 
These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your hearts. What does God call you to with this inner man? Love me. Love me with everything. Jesus confirms this in Matthew 22. Um, Let me read it to you just so that you understand that Jesus repeats this. It's not just an Old Testament idea, but it is a, a New Testament idea as well. This never changes about God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God does not change. How he regulates his people who follow him changes, but God never changes. Matthew 22, verse 37, verse 36, someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest thing that a man could do at this point? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and and with all your mind. That's the greatest and first foremost of commandments. Okay, so let me, I want to understand this. If the general condition of my heart is that it has failed me, it is beyond cleansing, it is the source of my defilement, it is, it foolishly invites spiritual darkness, and it's easily deceived even when it is surrounded by the best. It's an excellent deceiver itself, and it can be deceived by others, and I can deceive it. That heart is supposed to love God? That one? All of it? Not just a piece of me, but all of it is supposed to love God? This is quite a a problem for the human to face. Number five, does God know what he has done? Does does he see this predicament? I mean, does God know really what he's doing? Now, we're not going to look at all of these. I'm going to let you um, look these up on your own. But go to 1 Kings 8 with me. 1 Kings 8. It would be a good thing this week to... um, You can look up the rest of the passages on your own that we... Don't cover here. 8 verse 37. This is King Solomon's prayer of dedication at the temple. This is a portion of his prayer. He says in verse 37 of chapter 8, If there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart, and spreading his hands toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act, and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. You alone, God, are the one who... Does God know this predicament? Yes. And he's the only one who knows this predicament. Um... Look at Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24, verse 11. Proverbs 24, 11. Deliver those. This is the instruction that comes to um, the wise one, to a son. Deliver those who are being taken away to death. Deliver those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say in that moment where you see the innocent being taken off to death, if in that moment you would say, see, we didn't know this. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? You see, not only does God weigh the inner man, 
but he is weighing the inner man in his scales so as to repay him for what he's done. So you guys, it's not that he only sees and just sits back and is unmoved. No, he sees and he's weighing and he's evaluating because he's going to repay it. Go back to Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10. We'll read a little bit more this time. Jeremiah 17. Let this keep kind of coming back in your mind. Shepherd your heart. Shepherd it. Hopefully it's becoming clear why you need to shepherd your heart. Here it is again, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? No. Who can understand this thing that is me on the inside? Um, verse 10. I, the Lord, search you. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Parallel idea in the Old Testament on you, inwardly you, the mind. Why? Uh, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So why does God search? Why does God test? It is to give um, each man, one by one, each man, according to his ways, according to his deeds. You see, there is no broad, impersonal payment, repayment back, where God just kind of waves his hand over everybody, and there's this one kind of big lump payment back on everybody that crushes them all. No, it's a one by one by one by one by one repayment. But only after he has searched the heart, he knows what he's repaying. Okay? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul had something to say about this. Paul understands uh, Scripture's trajectory on the heart. Watch what he says about himself. You know, Paul had to do some crazy things before this church that he planted in Corinth. He constantly had to defend himself to the very people that he led to Christ. And here's what he's saying. Let, he says, verse 1, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. I, I need to be a trustworthy steward, Paul says. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. And he would stand before human courts, wouldn't he? In fact, I don't even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. And here's what I want you to notice. Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, don't go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each, each man's praise will come to him from God. So Paul says, look, I, I don't even examine myself anymore on this because I've looked and I can't see anything that's there, but... That doesn't mean that I'm acquitted because Paul knows he can't know the totality of his inward man. And so what is he telling him? Wait for the Lord to sort this out. He searches, he knows, and he repays each man. He knows the motives of men's hearts. So, guys, not only does God see this terrible predicament that our heart is in, but he's actually searching the heart for the purpose of Reward or judgment? Reward or judgment? So, number six. What is the greatest need of the human heart? We're going to do this in two parts. 
and and maybe maybe it's going to get a little darker, just a, just a little bit more for us. Okay, we're not going to look at every single one of these. Go to Jeremiah four, part one. You know what the greatest need is? God says, God says, do something about this heart of yours. That's what God says. You know, you want to know what you need? You need to do something about this heart. Jeremiah four. God said this to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem, verse three. For thus the Lord says the Lord to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and don't sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves. You see that? Circumcise who you are. And remove the foreskins of your heart. See, that's parallel to yourselves. Do you understand? Your heart is you. It's not a part of you. It's you. Men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, do this or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evils of your uh, evil of your deeds. Uh, circumcision is a significant surgical procedure. Um, and this is part circumcision. Inner man circumcision. This is the, the radical removal of all that is wrong with your inner man. Or else judgment comes. This is what God says. Do something about it. Look over at verse 14. Wash your heart from evil, O Jerusalem, that you may be saved. How long will your wicked thoughts lodge within you? Wow. Wash your heart. Wash your inner man. You know what's being said here? Man, you are responsible for what you are. Now do something about it. That's terrifying. Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18, verse 30. This is not good news for us. It's what we need. And God says do it. But it's not good news for us. Verse 30, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct. Each, do you see the emphasis on each again? Declares the Lord God, repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. Make a new me? Yes, that's what you need, God says. You need to do something about what you are. Make a new me, inwardly speaking. All right. Joel, chapter 2, verse 12. Now, don't panic, okay? We're looking at... We understand here, some, you guys are well taught in many ways, and we're, we're going to get to part two on this, okay? So don't panic yet, but I want you to, to absorb this. This is, this is what God says. Okay? He's not, he's not joshing with you. He's not fooling with you. No offense, Josh. 2.12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend or tear your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God because he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and he is relenting 
of evil. Return to God with deep sadness for what you inwardly are. Verse 13, tear your inward man. You know what the, 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 what the custom was. They took their garment and tore their clothes. He's saying that's too superficial for what's going on in you. Do that to your inner man. Tear with great sadness. Be broken over what you are inwardly. All that you are at the heart level must be torn in grief and sadness and in brokenness. And again, here the hope is the motive for doing so is the character of God. He is gracious. He's compassionate, abounding in loving kindness, relenting of evil. Let's go to the New Testament, James 4, verse 8. James 4, verse 8. Here's the New Testament equivalent of such a, an idea. James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. <clears throat> Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify. Wait a minute. I thought Proverbs 20 said that who can say I've cleansed my heart and pure from my sin? All right, so here's what God calls us to in his word. We're culpable. I'm responsible for what I have become inwardly speaking, and so are you. And God says, you're responsible. I hold you responsible. Do something about it. But here is where the light comes on. Here's the good news, guys, because simultaneous to this command throughout Scripture with what God says to do about your heart, God says that he will actually be the one to do it. Okay? God says, what I am calling you to do because you're, and he's emphasizing responsibility, you're responsible for what you are. Change this. How? How, how, do, I, how do I do that? And God says, it's exactly where I wanted to bring you. I'll do it. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all of the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God, and you obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from, the, uh, from captivity and have compassion on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there, the Lord your God will gather you. And from there, he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you, and he will multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed, your descendants. Why? What's, he, what's this circumcision of heart going to do? Uh, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You see, that's how you'll be able to love me. Because I'm going to do for your heart what I've commanded you to do, but that you can't do for yourself. I'll do it. God promises. Listen, this is the old covenant. Understand this. The old covenant anticipated that a new heart was needed. And that God would actually be the one to actually provide it. 
from its earliest days, the Old Covenant, it made Israel, its intention, I believe, was that the Old Covenant was to make Israel long for the day when God would do something with their hearts that the Old Covenant itself could not do. You see, the Old Covenant was not designed, the Old Covenant put the accent on the heart. The heart is in big trouble, but the Old Covenant did not provide the means within it to change it. And so it, it was kind of a frustrating thing that God gave to Israel. And it was, its intent was to make the, the one who loved God under the Old Covenant say, I, something's got to happen here with this heart of mine. See, the Old Covenant highlighted the need without providing the means to get it. Look at Psalm 51. You want to see what an Old Covenant believer felt? You want to see how this fleshed itself out in an Old Covenant believer's life? How about David? Psalm 51. You know this psalm. The psalm that David expressed after he went into Bathsheba. Look at verse 10. What does he cry out for at some point? Create in me a clean heart, O God! Creator, my Redeemer! You're the one who wants blood, you're my Redeemer, but you're the one who created it. Can you take your Creator and redeeming power, can you unite them together at the very core of who I am? Can you start over? Create for me a new one. You see, he is suffering under what he feels of himself under the Old Covenant, and he knows that there's no relief anywhere. He has to cry outside of it to God to do something about it. He knows God's evaluation of his own heart. He knows that God has promised that I'll circumcise the heart someday. And he cries out to God, do it, please. He felt his problem deeply. He felt his own inability. He's not saying, God, I think I've got one more idea I can try that's going to fix this heart of mine. No, God, you create. You do it. Jeremiah 31. Love this. Jeremiah 31. Verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. With who? The house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Here's the promise of the new covenant. And guess what its work and its focus will be on? The heart. It will come and it will be able to do for the heart what the old covenant was not designed to be able to do. You understand? Go to Ezekiel 11. Ezekiel 11. Verse 14. Let's drop down to verse 19. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart 
of flesh. Speaking of the whole house of Israel back in verse 15, the exiles of the whole house of Israel, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Okay, why are they going to have that heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh given? So that they may, verse 20, walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. I think this is a corporate promise, not just an individual one, a corporate anticipation that goes beyond the Old Covenant. Look at Ezekiel 36. It's even spelled out more clearly there, this New Covenant. Look at verse 26 and 27 specifically. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. There it is. I'll do for you what I command you to do but that you are completely unable to do. I'll do it. Now, go to Luke 22. This one's not in your uh, notes there but I want to show you. Make sure that we don't skip over something important here. Luke 22, the Last Supper. Jesus does something um, absolutely shocking to Jews. Verse 14 of Luke 22. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. That's the Passover right there. He is a good Old Testament Jew, and he is following the Passover meal to a T. And then he does what no man ever dared think to do. Moses never even got this mind, uh, idea in his mind. He would never have done this. He then, verse 19, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body. And they would have been going, let me look through uh, Exodus again here. Yeah, I'm not seeing that, Jesus. Where's the part where you say, this is my body? He's doing something brand new. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant. What goes on with the new covenant? What does God do at the New Covenant that believers under the Old Covenant could not do for themselves? Promise of a new inner man. A new man. Alright, go to Acts 2. Watch this. As we keep going forward, we're moving left to right. We let each passage speak on its own authority. We're not taking New Testament ideas and pushing them all back into the Old Testament. We're just going forward. We're letting each passage speak for itself. Now, what would you expect when the Spirit of God who is promised in the New Covenant is poured out? What would you expect as the Gospel is being preached and that Spirit has been poured out? What would you expect would be the effect on people who are hearing it? Look at this. Verse 36. Therefore, Peter gets to the end of his sermon and he says, Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucify. And when they heard this, the ones sitting there 50 days later, the very ones who would have been crying, crucify, crucify. When they heard this, they were pierced. Where? In the inner man. Why? 
Why were they pierced there? Because the new covenant was here. And that is what happens. God is changing inner persons. They were pierced to the heart, and, and the evidence of a pierced heart like that is, what, what, what do I do? Just, just tell me, what, what do I do? I'll do anything. See, when the heart has been pierced like that, the heart is ready to listen to God. Go to Acts 15. The new covenant has been inaugurated. Christ poured his blood out. You see evidence of it beginning in Acts 2, I think. Acts 15. You know the story. It's the Council of Jerusalem. Uh, Pharisees and some Jews who have believed are a little wigged out by the fact that there are Gentiles who are believing and they don't really know what to do. They think they should make them obey Mosaic law. And Peter's going to try to set them straight. Verse 7, after they had been in much debate, Peter said... Uh, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. The very thing that he was asking in the Old Testament, he finally does himself here. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the necks of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? The old covenant, they couldn't bear it. They couldn't do what it demanded of them. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. God promised to Israel beyond the old covenant, the new covenant, and here it is. And Gentiles, Gentiles, the nations are experiencing this cleansing of heart. It's amazing. So, man is called to do something about this condition. And what does that do? I think those passages where God says, do this with your heart, I think it's God saying, I want you to feel your responsibility for what you've become, for what you are before me. You are responsible. Do something about it. And then God says, I'll do it for those that I say. I'll do it. And in the new covenant through Jesus and his shed blood, he has done it. It's finished. And now we proclaim that gospel. So, the inner man is a devastated man. The inner man, in number three we talked about, um, is not even uh, remotely aware of this. Completely deceived. The inner man, number four, in that condition is actually called by God to love him in that condition with that inner man. And we ask ourselves the question does God understand what he's doing here? Yeah, yeah, he absolutely understands. He knows the heart. In fact, he's weighing it to repay it. And our greatest need is to feel the responsibility that we are responsible for these hearts and we must do something about it, but we can't. And we turn to God and God says, I'll do it. All right, so then number seven, lastly, what is God's provision for our hearts that need to change or have been changed? What does God give to us? He gives you a gift. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. Watch this. And this hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New. I love this. How there's unity in our Bibles. Some things never change. There's some things that change big time from the Old Testament to the New. There are many things that don't. Deuteronomy 6. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And don't worry, 
I have something for you so that you can love me from your heart. These words, which I'm commanding you today, they shall be on your heart. What is God's intent from the very beginning? Your heart must love me. And I've got something for you. It's my Bible. It's my commands. It's my word. They need to be in contact with your heart. The word of God in your heart must be in a full contact sport together. Do you understand? Shepherd your heart to the word of God to what? Know him. To love him. This is God's intent from Deuteronomy 6. How do we miss this? How do we become so content to do other things with God's word? Good things, but we play leapfrog over the inner man. How do we do that? It's because our hearts are easily deceived, right? Ezra 7.10. Go to Ezra. You're going to need to get familiar with your table of contents, perhaps. Okay, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. And you know what? If you need help getting there, there's no shame. Anybody here, help each other out. Ezra 7, verse 10. Did Ezra understand this? Did Ezra know that his word, God's word, and his heart were in a full contact sport? Yes, he did. Ezra 7, 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. He took responsibility for his heart and he set it to study it. He did. He shepherded his heart with the word of God. Drop to Psalm 119, verse 11. I'm sorry if you just got to Ezra 7. Psalm 119. We'll start off next time with sword drills and we'll practice. In the meantime, go to Psalm 119, verse 11. Watch this. Did the psalmist believe this about his heart? Your word, verse 11, I have treasured in my, what? My inner man, your word, in my inner man I treasure. Why? I don't want to sin against you. I don't want to sin against you. He understood this. Look at verse 34. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my inner man, my heart. Verse 36, we saw this uh, last Sunday. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. God, bend my heart. Make my heart bend so that it comes into contact with your testimonies. 36, we just did. Uh, 111. Psalm 119, 111. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. My inner man rejoices over this these testimonies of yours. Verse 112, I have inclined my heart. Okay, so God, you bend my heart. You turn my heart to your word. And you know what? I've done the same. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. Proverbs chapter 6. I want you to see this one. Just a little bit further to the right. Proverbs 6. What does a father say to his son? Not just any father, but a father who is inspired by God, writing God's word. He says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Bind them continually on your heart. Um, Proverbs 7. 
My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live in my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Do you remember back in Jeremiah 31? What did God say that he was going to do with his law? I will write it on their what? Hearts. What's God's intent with his word, guys? Where does he want it to go? Inner man. It must impact all that you are inwardly speaking. That is his intent. It's his intent from the earliest pages of the Bible forward. Go to Luke 8. I love this. Jesus shows up on the scene. And he knows the exact same thing. Parable of the soils. And he starts to explain it in verse 11. Luke 8, verse 11. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard the word of God. And then the devil comes and he takes away the word from their what? Their inner man. Does the devil know what God's intent is for his word? Does he know what God wants you to do with his word? What's he going to try to do every time? Keep you from it. Keep it from you. The gospel goes out and it gets preached and the devil, he is busy. He's busy at the heart, at the inner man level, making sure that the word of God and the heart do not come into contact because he knows what happens if they do. Look down at um, verse 15. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and they bear fruit with, fruit with perseverance. And a well-instructed, believing Jew should have said, whoa, whoa, where do you get this honest and good heart? But that's where the word of God is to impact the heart. Go to Luke 24. Jesus has died. He has been raised from the dead. He's walking with a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they are clueless about the word of God. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. What are they slow of heart about? The word of God. They can't help but be slow in heart about the word of God. That's the way we came out of the womb. We'll always on ourselves, to up to ourselves, be slow there concerning what the prophets spoke. He knows this, and he says it's foolish. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? And then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He unloaded the Old Testament on them. Drop down to verse 32. And what did they say when they finally realized who he was and he vanished from the, the meal? He said this. Weren't our hearts on fire when he was talking? My inner man was on fire when he was talking and saying all the things that he was, when he was explaining the scriptures to us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, last verse. Guys, has God given us something for these hearts? Hebrews 4, 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, that's the inner man, of both joints and marrow, and able to 
Judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Guys, what do you need the most help with? You need help seeing your heart. You can't see it yourself as it truly is. But don't worry. The one who has changed your heart, who's given you a new man, a new identity, you are a new creature in Christ by his grace, the one who has done that for you, that which you could not do for yourself, he has given to you his word, and guess what his word can do? It can search you and judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. It can let you know what your inner man truly is. Guys, if you skip over discipline one and you don't shepherd your heart with the word of God so that it can come and tell you who you are, what do you have to say to anybody? In fact, you may be a danger to people. When I don't do this, I, I'm not going to be helpful for my wife. I'm not going to be helpful for my kids. I'm not going to be helpful for you as a preacher. We need to be men who are not going to play leapfrog over our hearts. And we don't read our Bibles just to check off boxes. We don't read our Bibles because we've got to study for a lesson to prepare. Merely, yes, we'll do those things. But when you come to this Bible, you go, God, if I don't see you, and if I don't get you, and if I don't love you from here with this word, I'm bankrupt. I need you. So if the heart is a dismal failure, if it's stained beyond cleansing, if it defiles me, if it's foolish, if it's deceived and self-deceived, and it's the greatest deceiver, it's completely unaware of this, and God calls this heart to something high like loving him, and the Son of God suffered to bear away the old heart and to give a new heart through his blood, and if God intends his word to be the companion of your heart, then what should be my attitude towards God's word? I want it more than anything else. Because it, not because it's the end. It's a means to my end, who is Jesus. You got it? Shepherd your heart to the word of God to know and love and meet with Jesus Christ in the gospel. Guys, do you want to know what biblical manhood is? It's that. You can go out and you can shoot guns. I like to shoot guns. You can go out and fish with other guys. I like to fish. You can go out and ride quads and you can... Stay on the edge of a cliff and you can all scream like men or animals together. You, you can do all kinds of manly things. And if you don't do this, you are not a biblical man. Not a biblical man. Be a biblical man. Shepherd your heart. Shepherd your heart. I've given you two sample prayers in your, um, I don't know if it was in your paperclip thing or if it was in your notebook already. I think it was in your paperclip. I want to give you a sense of I'll let you read through those. Here's, here's your assignment. Right at the top of this page, read this. Fold this and put it in your Bible. And when you read your Bible um, this week, I'm not commanding you to pray this prayer. I'm saying this is, this is a way that I try, these two prayers are ways that I try to practice these build disciplines. And let it be a, let it be a guide for you. You pray your prayer. But I want you to see what it would look like if you were influenced by these kinds of things. Um, on the one side, I think you need to have a good answer to this question every time you're meeting with the Lord. You wake up, you pour yourself a cup of coffee, you put your Bible in front of you, God says, why are you here? You need to have a good answer for that. 
I intend this time in your word to be an expression of worship of you, God. Desire for you. It's an expression of my desire for you. It's an expression of my love for you, my need for you, my dependence on you. Any and all of this is only possible through Jesus Christ, your son. He's my savior. I approach you through him. He's my substitute. He's my high priest. And the reason I have your word open before me is because, well, you've revealed yourself there more clearly than any other place, and I want to know you better. I desire to see you in all of your glory in the pages before me. I simply and humbly draw near to you to study you. Nearness to you through these pages of Scripture, that's my good. Let me tell you why else I'm here, God. I also have your word open before me because I need to learn more of the nature of my sin and my fallenness before you so that I might better understand what danger I truly was in and what danger still lurk within me. I need to see both the sin that provoked your righteous wrath towards your son and that provoked your grace that moved you to act as Savior towards me. I'm here. Your word is open before me so that I might undergird my life again today with the saving heart and motive in the gospel of your son who overcame the penalty of my sin and the power of my sin to enslave me. I need the foundation of your gospel under me clearly so that I can see just how you have equipped me through it to fight against my sin today and to fight for obedience to you today through Jesus Christ. I'm here to rehearse your bedrock promises in the gospel to my soul. I have your word open before me to study what righteousness and holiness of life looks like for one who has been made new in Christ, etc. The back is just another kind of different expression. You can read that on your own. Guys, that's what needs to be happening in us. That kind of man is an unstoppable man for God's church and the gospel going forward. You need to be that man. I want to be that man. We need to labor together to be that kind of man. We, I, I went as fast as I could, guys. Um, we're going to take 10 minutes just to break into our small groups just so that you can see each other who you are. And here's what we're going to do. Um, Eric Martin's group, which is my group, uh, you need to look at your list of small group guys. Um, I want you to add, let's see, Mike, would you come in our group with us? Okay, so you just put your name at the bottom of, of uh, uh, Eric Martin, your big group too. Okay? And let's uh, see, Deji, why don't you go... Why don't you go Jacob? Jacob, Deji's going to be... Okay. Uh, Eric's group and mine, you're going to go out the hall, down, and then down the main hall to room, one of those two rooms down there. Tom, your group, and Matt Kelso's group are going to go out that hall as well and down. There's two classrooms we're going to use over there. And then two of you need to stay in here. Mark, how about you guys with your group? Why don't you go across the hall next to SMED in room 18, I think it is. That one's open for you. And then um, the other two of you can stay in here. And just see, you, you guys just kind of meet over on this side. And the other group, meet on the opposite side or something, okay? Thanks, guys, for coming. We'll let you dismiss from your small groups, okay?